Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Welcome to Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And uh, we're all recording after uh, working at home all day because of the coronavirus. Except for me. Except for Jackie. I was in work. Jackie was at work. So today I am going to do another chapter in the history of the Kohinoor diamond, how the Kohinoor got from India to England. It's a tale of... Well, there's some de- deception and betrayal, which I'm actually going to skip over because the the logistics of how the East India Company took it from India are really depressing. But the parts where it got from India to England is a fun story of terrible things happening to awful people. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be nice. Is the diamond considered cursed? Yes. yes. The Kohinoor is historically thought to be very cursed, and you're about to hear why. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Noel, what are you bringing us? I'm going to be talking about moon people. Care to elaborate on that? Not at all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So diamonds and moon people. Moon people. You got to say it's not moon. It's moon people. Almost like you're moon like a cow. Diamonds and moon people. People. But not that long. You can shorten that down. Diamonds and moon people. People. Well, you said, what, what, what am I doing wrong? Say moon people. That's okay. It's okay. Not everyone. Not everyone can talk. Appreciate Jackie. Can you say it? Moon people. Yup. One hundred percent. A A plus plus. It sounds exactly like exactly the same as what I'm doing. Hold on. Wait. No. Hold on. But I'm giving a big A plus plus to Jackie. Nice. And a big old. F minus to max. F minus. I'm changing it to an A plus. I only needed two lines to do so. A plus. This looks like a Pangea uh, tic tac toe board. So, Koinor Diamond. A bit of background for it. We talked about it uh, previously on Anachronismo. The Koinor is a huge 130 carat diamond. Uh, from India. It's historically a symbol of rulership and good fortune, fought over, betrayed over, intrigued over. You know, people have fought over it back and forth. And generally, it's been thought to be like whoever is, you know, in charge of India, whoever is the, is the ruler of India, is the holder of the Kohinoor diamond. Right? Can you remind me how big it is? Is it like fist size? It's like, see my thumb? Yes. Like that big. As big as your thumb. Okay. I, yeah. That's it. Doesn't sound that big. That's a big. It's that's right. Yeah. Big for a it's actually more like this. Double thumb. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Man, how Huge how much diamond. do they have to squeeze those carrots down to fit them in such a tiny little space? Well, it takes a lot of pressure. It takes a lot of pressure. It takes a lot of pressure. Thousands of years, and uh, very hungry rabbits. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. That's that's how cool. Tiny little rabbits. Wait. So implicitly, got to keep making sure they don't eat it. You you had mentioned that there was a belief in it being cursed. Is that? Curse mythology, almost like a poetic, like the ruler of India is also kind of doomed in taking that role? Or is it if you take the diamond from the 
you know, rightful person. Terrible things you... keep happening to the people who have it. Ranjit Singh, who you might remember from my previous story, eventually got face cancer and his nose rotted off on his face and would fill with maggots every day, which would fall out as he went about his business. Okay. Yeah. So or, that's different. At first, I was like, yeah. bad things happen to people who Although, had a really valuable diamond that yeah. was worth a lot. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, bad things but, also did happen to people who had a valuable diamond that was worth a lot. Like, I told you last time, like, a guy got blinded for it. Yeah. We were tortured for it. Like, it's a whole, you know, it's a valuable diamond. So it's a bit bad, of confirmation bad, bias. Bad things happen to people that also don't have the diamond. So mm-hmm. Bad things happen all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lord Dalhousie of the East India Company, who was who the man who, like, basically took the diamond from Duleep Singh, who was the... Maharaja at the time. Like, he was convinced it was all a bunch of hooey, a bunch of hooey, and actually asked people, like, oh, what is the provenance of the Kohenor diamond? And the, the response he would get back was, oh, it's its provenance is good fortune for whoever holds it is able to rule India, and as things go their way. Narrator, he didn't understand sarcasm. I mean, it was probably not said sarcastically, but... but it would have been great if it had been, though. Oh, no, this diamond is just nothing but good luck. Oh, yeah, I don't want to pick it up because of how much good luck it would give me. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, tell you what, I'm going to tell you the story, and you be the judge. You be the judge okay. if this diamond is cursed. Too much power. Yeah, sure. All right. I'll take it. So, uh... We're going to gloss over how the East India Company got their awful little grubby mitts on this. It Suff- was bad times. It, it was, was su- bad yeah. Times. Suffice to say, intrigue, lies, murders, placing people on thrones, threatening their families, kidnapping people, forcing them to sign things away. Uh, long story short, they stole the they stole challenge the sh- show. They- no. Okay. <laughs> I want a yes and, you know. I want a yes. Tell yeah, but me how. You, but you t- tell me how. So, uh, pitch me how a talent show. How a talent. I mean, it's almost like that one away. where it's like, oh, I'm a British magician, and I'm gonna, I can make anything disappear, anything at all. What's, what's the most valuable thing you have here? And the, you know, the Maharaja doesn't raise his hand, but then they're like, oh, you, you sir, right in front and center. That's, uh, that looks pretty nice. Do you want me to make it disappear? And he's like, no. And he's like, yeah, give him a hand. <laughs> and they get him up there. And then he just, he does the old, uh, I can make it disappear, but not reappear. Hmm. Well, no, thank you're, you. You're totally right. No, thank you for letting me yes and myself, <laughs> Max. <laughs> really just put up the deflector shield. Yeah, no, there. it's great. You did a great job. Didn't they force the Indian royal family to live in England? Right? They did and, actually like, suppress the Sikh religion. They did do that. Yes, that's correct. Duleep Singh, who was the Maharaja at the time, was a boy of the age of ten, uh, and his family was killed, and he was put on the throne, and then forced to sign away the Kohinoor, and then he was adopted by an Englishman named John Logan, who, um, well, he felt bad about it, but not bad enough to try and get him restored to the throne. Just bad enough to try and get him the Kohinoor back, so they could sell it, so that they could use the money that they raised doing that to help the people of India. And he actually started. He thought that was such a great idea. He assumed it would pass. You know, he thought, oh, the queen doesn't want this diamond. You know, she's got plenty of diamonds. Mm-hmm. So he started spending the money oh, no. before they ever got it. Oh. Yeah. Jesus. How yeah. long was this talent show? <laughs> <laughs> Years, no, years okay. and years. Because I almost did an anachronismo about his daughter and how she helped revive this. Oh, Duleep Singh's daughter? Yes, mm-hmm. she's uh, she's mentioned a little bit in this book about the Kalinor uh, by William Dalrymple. But she, I think she has actually her own whole book. Uh, yeah, she's her own cool person. Yeah, yeah I yeah. didn't end up doing because I didn't have enough time to look it up. Sorry, to, one time. Sorry to keep distracting, but just out of curiosity, how long the name. was the talent show? 
No, what no, was no. The nobleman's talent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am curious about that, but I, I was going to, you know, ask if Koei Nor, like, if that translates to anything. I don't it, know if you uh, covered it. It does. In the last it translates one. to Mountain of Light. Mountain of Light. Mountain of Light. Sounds, yeah. Doesn't sound cursed. Mm-hmm. It was cut in the rose cut pattern, which doesn't reflect as much light as our princess cuts do that we are familiar with with diamonds. So it actually was often mistaken for a piece of glass and the like. But it was a giant diamond that when when the light did hit it properly, was beautiful. Oh. But it had it was quite hard to have that light hit it properly. Yeah. So, ba-da-ba-da-ba, Dooleep Singh gets adopted by the royal family, ba-da-ba-da-ba. Uh, John Logan spends his money, bada bada ba. Lord Dalhousie decides to curry favor with the Queen by sending her the Kohinoor diamond. Right? And actually, the rest of the East India Trading Company gets pretty mad at him for doing this because they say, like the rest of India, this Kohinoor diamond is theirs and they should have be the ones to decide whether or not to present it to the Queen or to keep it for themselves. And he's like, this is bullshit. Clearly, we're under the Queen's providence, and the diamond goes to the ruler of India, which is Queen Victoria. And yes, there is a lot of terrible things inherent in that sentence I just said. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, Lord Dalhousie says, fuck you, I'm going to go along with my idea, come up with by me. Uh, and he A starts- talent show! <laughs> A talent show where I'm going to smuggle this diamond to Queen Victoria. Using my talent of money and boat. Those are some good talents. Those are some great talents, no. <laughs> I mean, so, not, you know, not for nothing, but, yeah. you know, there's that whole, like, you know, Bible story about just being like, he gave them 10 talents and they buried them. Mm-hmm. And then for, then you find out that it's actually money. So, yeah. That's Good right. Good callback. Thank Good you. Good callback. Yeah. I've never heard that story. Solid, solid callback. So after they make this decision, it's going to be a few months before they can even take it to Bombay from where it is to be even shipped to India, mm-hmm. so, to England. And so they give it to – they have to find someone to hold on to it for safekeeping. Oh. Lord Dalhousie doesn't want to keep it in his household. He's afraid he'll get robbed. He doesn't want to give it to uh, someone from the East India Company because he's afraid, oh, you know, they'll – bring it back he doesn't want to give it to somebody who thinks will be greedy he wants to find someone trustworthy so the person he eventually settles on is john lawrence i was really hoping he was gonna like put it in the chicken coop or something (laughs) (laughs) just let the chickens take care of it you know that would have been probably good but they would have tried to hatch it and who knows what would have come out you know a mountain a mountain of light in the shape of a chicken yeah or a talent show yeah You know, where the chickens, uh, they, they try and they try and do their, their talent of hatching things. And, you know, uh, they take, oh, you want this diamond? No. Give him a hand. So he gives it to John Lawrence. Now, uh, John Lawrence is a sort of governor in India, and he is actually known – he's very well liked and very well known by the people of the Punjab because he tries to – he's like lowered taxes on them. He's built roads and hospitals and stuff. Like basically, you know, he's surrounded by people who are constantly fucking over the people there, and he's like the only person who's like kind of cool to them, mm-hmm. even though admittedly he is a war hero in a war against them. Yeah. Um, so even though he led a lot of forces to kill a lot of people who live, who are, you know, Punjabi, 
uh, he was well liked by the people of the Punjab because then once he was in power, he was like, well, let's not fuck them over too bad. Like literally everyone else did. Mm. So, you know, he lowered taxes, so on and so forth, built roads. So he is thought to be like, oh, he's wealthy. He's uh, he's got good morals. He will, you know, take care of this diamond and not spend it or betray us or anything like that. He's he's and he's already pretty rich in his own right. So he's thought, oh, this is the man who's least likely to 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 need it anyway. So they drop off the diamond with John Lawrence and his brother, Charles, not his brother, his brother-in-law, Charles Massell. In December of 1849, he it's like put in a little like box. He receives it solemnly, tucks. wrapped up, put under a Christmas tree. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait for that mountain to hatch. Yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and hatch that, and out hatches a tree. And of course, the the Christmas tree is at uh, you know does a talent show. And he's like, give it a give it a bush, give it a leaf. So. He tucks it into his vest pocket, his waistcoat pocket, what we would call a vest, what the English call a waistcoat. Takes off the waistcoat, puts it in his closet, and forgets about it. <laughs> it's which is good. It's supposed to be there for safekeeping. He doesn't put that waistcoat on again for a while, right? So in January of of eighteen fifty, uh, over a month later, they call they he receives a letter. And uh, he and Charles Mansell are sitting down to dinner. He receives a letter and he reads that they are calling for the Koh-i-Noor to be shipped to Bombay, to be shipped to England. And he solemnly stands up and he says, send for it then. And Charles, his brother, (laughs) explodes at him. You have it! (laughs) I would do that. (laughs) I would do that. (laughs) So he realizes that he's forgotten that he's the one who has custody of this diamond which oh, no. which if you recall is estimated to be worth enough money to feed everyone on the planet for three months <laughs> if you recall from our last episode talking oh, about man. it and he rushes home to search for this <laughs> diamond and he doesn't know where it is can he like ask his servants for help or they don't even know he's either. having his servants toss the, oh, okay. the house upside down and he says I'm just imagining and, him toss the whole house yeah, and his servants like, like, servants, like in fact last he goes to his trusted man servant he's like do you remember what if you saw my waistcoat and uh, where where it was put? And he's like, "Oh yes, we put that in mothballs because it's uh, the season has changed." Get it? Out. Was there anything in in it in it in it when you put it away? Well, well, there was, but it was just an old piece of glass. Oh no! <laughs> so he has them run and get the thing because they put it aside, being like, "Well, he probably wants it. It's in a nice box, but why does he want this big piece of glass?" He comes, they bring it back, and he opens it with shaking hands. And it's there, gleaming in this box that he forgot about, (laughs) that his servants put into mothballs. Oh, he's lucky it was still there. Oh, he's so lucky. He's so lucky. What would he have done if it was missing? Just pretend to have been robbed, I guess. Yeah, probably pretend to have been robbed and then, you know. Kill a servant. And also then just, like, just be so ashamed the rest of his life. He probably would have had to have someone killed, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know what he would have had to do? He'd have had to put on a talent show to cover it all up. Mm-hmm. Wear the world's largest dunce hat and sit in a corner <laughs> in, like, It'll the queen's like throne room. The mountain of dunce. It'll be like the Brady Bunch, where he needs to repay it back, and he has to win the talent show so he can afford to pay it back. I can see this. Oh, so basically the kids want to give a nice anniversary present to their parents who mm-hmm. just who were married. 
they buy this beautiful tray and they get it engraved. Jan, I think it was Jan. She was supposed to just get the parents' initials, but she actually got like happy anniversary mom and dad or something like that, not realizing that the price was per letter and not for the engraving altogether. So the kids have to enter the local talent show to try and win enough prize money to pay for their parents' anniversary present. And they win second place, and the parents are like, you did all this for us? We'll pay for it. And they have to put on the world's biggest diamond to pay for it. (laughs) But at that point, like, aren't they kind of just calling that bluff of, like, just being like, listen, who else is going to buy this tray that's engraved, happy anniversary, mom and dad? How many other kids do you know that would buy, (laughs) that would chip in all this money for their parents' anniversary? Well, I mean, I think it was the... The, uh, the Brady children have morals, so they don't want to screw yeah. over this engraving company. I think their talent was blinking first. It was singing. Oh. So, you know who <laughs> doesn't have morals? The East India Company. So, they had to get this diamond to Bombay to ship it. But that was an overland trip of, like, hundreds of miles, right? You know, it Wait, was... Wait, to Bombay? Where are they now? Uh, they are now... They are now in Lahore. L-A-H... O-R-E. So they're in Lahore, which is hundreds of miles from Bombay. It's an overland journey uh, through areas that were once stable and before that less stable. And now we're much less stable now because of the East India Company. So they have to travel through hundreds of miles overland through areas uh, often frequented by bandits, unsafe roads, all sorts of stuff like that. And Lord Dalhousie of the East India Trading Company, of the Dalhousie Lands, a very powerful, very rich man, decides there is no one he can trust this to but himself. He decides that to have this chairman of the East India Company take the diamond himself to Bombay is a plan that's, and he writes this down, just crazy enough to work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he wasn't that valuable to the company then because if he has to be on the road for that long he can't possibly be doing it. Oh, he's job. incredibly valuable to the company but he, the, he runs most of those these places we're talking right, about right but can't but he the, he can't run the company while he's doing this errand yes which he? is why it's such an insane idea is that is the idea because no one would suspect that this very important man oh, would be a courier for something when he's right. got all these things to do mm-hmm. yeah all right but so, All right. Yeah, that sounds crazy. Enough yeah, to work. he had given this to John Lawrence. I he needed to keep it safe. Yeah, but was he not keeping it safe from the East India Company? Like dissenters who were like, "No, this wasn't yours." Yeah, there's dissenters, but also um, this diamond has been killed for, tortured for, yeah. betrayed for, gone to war for. It literally, like, it, it, there's like a contingent of people in India who are like, we're going to steal this back for the Maharaja and then use that yeah. as a symbol of his rulership to set him back up on the throne. Stuff like that. Also, but, but somebody would, might just steal it just to sell. But would people recognize it for what yes. it was? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. It I has, just didn't know if it It has was been like... a symbol of rulership in India and the uh, surrounding areas for over a thousand years at this point. Okay. Yeah. Passed down 
fought over, used as part of a throne, used like it's worn by the Maharaja on an armband in all of his, all of his public appearances and all of his father's public appearances and all of his father's public appearances. Okay, so the you know, for generations. image of that would have gotten, or that would have been like just yeah. kind of a symbol that people yeah, there, would. There are, there are, there okay. are paintings of people wearing this, this diamond. Now, any general peasant on the street might not recognize it, but gems are, are common enough. They're not like, Oh, everyone's walking on gems all the time, but gems are actually pretty common in India. So they know what a gem looks like. So they wanted to mistake it for they, glass, like no, on. They would know it was a big fuck off diamond, and they would, and they would know the only big fuck off diamond that's big and fuck off enough to be that <laughs> diamond is the Kohinoor. Yeah, yeah, crazy so, enough to work. Dalhousie decides there's only one person he can trust to accompany with him on this uh, this trip. Which is his nephew, uh, Captain James Ramsey of the uh, of the uh, East India Company's army, right? And he decides that this gem can't leave his side, so he has his wife sew him a little leather pouch, which then she attaches to a chain, which he then wears on on his body under his shirt at all times, snug against his uh, his body. And the leather pouch is made out of the softest leather she can get, so it won't irritate him too much. His w- wife is like, "Well, what if people see the chain?" He's like, "Well, it it'll look like it's a crucifix under my clothes or something. I just won't won't take off my shirt, <laughs> public." <laughs> so. You know, he goes with his nephew and there and his two dogs, uh, his two large guard dogs. Oh, one of the dogs is going to betray him. <laughs> <laughs> the one that he thought was most loyal. Like, that's 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 it. Yeah. Dogs love diamonds. They love it. His two pet dogs, Banda and Baron, who would be chained to his camp bed every night to guard him and the diamond. Mm. So after a small ceremony. He headed off to Bombay with his nephew, and it didn't leave his side day or night except for once on the trip. Early in the mission, unavoidable government business forced him to ride out from camp in a place called Dera Ghazi Khan on the outskirts of Punjab territory, an area notoriously teeming with bandits. So he carefully took off the Kohinoor and gave it to his nephew, told him to put it in the chest in their camp to take out his pistol and hold his sword and sit on the chest holding the pistol and the sword in the tent with the pistol aimed at the door until he got back. Wow. That's an easy way to say there is something valuable in this chest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a hidden in plain sight. That's where you put in like the chandelier. So, of, yeah. like, uh... so he was gone for an afternoon, but this guy was sitting on a chest <laughs> Gun in hand, sword in other hand, for just a whole day, a whole afternoon. So tired. So tired, looking ridiculous. <laughs> See, if someone came in and was like, wait, is there something valuable? They're like, no, I just, I lost a bet. I believe he would say, bang. <laughs> I'm also mentioning the nephew is like eight years old. I know that's not the case. No, he's, he's but <laughs> adorable. He's just some kid with, with a big sword. painted on mustache. Uh, you know, and you know, he learned how to use that gun at the talent show. <laughs> Who's a big sword? <laughs> <laughs> They never see it coming. That's why he trusts him so much. He's got the body and heart of a killer and the mind of one, too. I guess just the, the mind body and the heart of a killer? Of one. Yeah, well, you know, if he, <laughs> by definition, he whole... kills somebody. He's got the body of a killer. No. Think about it. No. Think about I it. I won't. Think about it. I won't. Think about it. No. Think about it. You just see, think about it. Anybody can be a killer. <laughs> it's true. There could be a killer with us in this room. 
right now. One of us could have a killer bod. <laughs> Let's all touch stomachs. <laughs> no. Thanks. It's not me. I'm 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 chubby. So after a long, arduous trip, almost two months of travel, the Koinor gets to Bombay just after the ship to England has left. And they have Didn't to they wait. Didn't know this VIP was coming? That's the thing. He couldn't send ahead word that he was bringing the Koinor. Oh, but they weren't waiting for him? No. No, he had to stay there. He was sending the Koinor on without him. And they have to ship things. They, you know, they have to get the stuff that they like have fucked oh, India over for. I guess, but I feel like a letter from the president or the leader of the East India Company to the captain of that ship would let the ship wait. Nope. No. Nope. So it is so dangerous, like to travel that, like. So he is in this first area. I forget the name. Lord well, Dalhousie. Yeah. What about him? He's in this city. He's traveling to Bombay, but. That road has become so dangerous mm-hmm. because of his company's activities. But like, yeah. what if he had actually needed to get there? Like, I'm kind of, I'm, I guess it's just surprised that like, if he there wasn't to get more there, of a, an army presence, or yeah, like, he uh, would, he would have like gone with a contingent of people. Okay, but the more people you involve, the more chances there are for someone to betray you, and he didn't trust anybody. So he really went light. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. The light and dangerous mission. This is where the dogs come. Yeah, in. so I, with dogs, yeah, the dogs didn't betray him. I'm uh, sorry. I wish it'd be cool. He's lying. Cool if they had. You know, yeah, could have hatched that diamond into a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just be like, how could you, Ben, ben Benson, Benson, Benson? He goes, Ugh. and the dog goes, well, I'm a Rottweiler. But I'm also a rotten wilder. <laughs> and then he choked on the diamond. <laughs> no, no, that was him eating that guy's face. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty clear. And that's his poetry in the talent show. Give my hand, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just links up with a, ta- <laughs> a traveling uh, mm-hmm. talent show. <laughs> and yeah. every night he has to do something that puts it like at risk of exposure. Mm-hmm. Would you please take off that crucifix uh, as we put you in this CAT scan that'll pull anything metal off your body? <laughs> and- <laughs> a CAT scan? I'm a dog. <laughs> <laughs> By the end, he's eating everyone's faces. So, it was going to be another two months before the next ship left. So, he resigned himself to two months of waiting and anxiety. And to keep the Koinor safe, he first placed it in a small iron safe fitted with a sturdy lock. Mm -hmm. Then he placed the safe inside a a red dispatch box, which also had a lock. These are the kind of boxes that they would use to send mail and various things back to England. Then... This container was sealed with red tape and wax, making it look like a normal diplomatic box, which would usually contain papers bound for Westminster, which was then placed in another chest, specially designed also to have two separate locks. And then it was stored in the Bombay Treasury for the next two months. Sounds pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Finally, on the 6th of April, 1850, the koh was taken on aboard the HMS Medea, which was a steam sloop ship, which was bound for London. It was not revealed to the captain of the ship what had been put on it until it was already underway. And only he and two other men were to know what was there. A representative of the East India Company, the aforementioned nephew of Lord Dalhousie, and the captain were the only three men who knew what were on this. So that was um, Captain William Lockyer was the captain of the ship. 
Captain John Ramsey, who we remember from before, the little boy. Holding that <laughs> pistol. Mm-hmm. And Colonel James McKenzie were the three. Did so, they swear him to secrecy by just being like, okay, everyone, you know about this. Now touch stomachs. Touch bellies. <laughs> touch Come bellies on. together. Come on. Come on. Come on. We're all hot here. A naval kiss is the only way we'll be able to trust each other. Because <laughs> of the, oh, because yeah. of the belly button? Yeah, belly button. Oh, oh you. Makes a little popping sound. But like, because yeah, it's chip. Exactly, exactly. Oh, I love that. I love that. So. A naval kiss is when naval you just kiss. go. Mwah. And they're, and they're, and they're in the Navy. <laughs> So, you graduates of West Point Academy <laughs> can come up, and your commanding officer will give you a little naval kiss. And, and then you tuck will... your diploma into your belly button. <laughs> They're so tiny. <laughs> they poke out a lot. <laughs> so, each one of them has one of the three keys needed to unlock this safe. None of them can do it by themselves. So they set out. And once they're underway, they tell the captain what's in this safe. They gave him this key. And then, Koinor is safe, one would think. Out on the water, only three men knowing of his existence on a safe steam sloop ship bound for England. Mm. This sounds like a setup. It sounds yeah, like a setup, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it's yeah, safe. You would have said that more normal. A week into the voyage, cholera struck the boat. Oh, and they had to use all the boxes to catch the poop. No, no. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible. No, no. Yeah, no. That's horrible. Yeah, that's right. They pooped all over the coin, and they needed all that wax from the boxes to mm-hmm. plug up, all and then that, a big, butts, a big mountain of leather Cheerios. They needed those locks hatched to lock out. Up the sick uh-huh, people. That's right. They needed them to lock oh, up the sick oh people. My God. They needed the wax to plug up their bottoms. You know. Uh, well, all right, Max. Then I'm gonna. I'm calling you out. Because who do you think gave them that cholera? A dog. How does a dog give uh, humans cholera? Because he got a collar. I, I walked into that one. I walked into that one. That's it's Talon the Talent Show. It's people <laughs> yeah. cholera. Give a Everybody. <laughs> so, the ship loses 100 and 35 crew members to cholera. Oh, so they need the box for um, coffins? coffins. Shit, he could have told hurled. everyone. They, they buried them in the sea. Um, and they, uh, but they're running on a skeleton crew and they don't know how many people still are yet to die. So they, and they've had to get rid of a lot of their provisions. They've had to get, use a lot of fresh water to treat this. So they decide to stop at the port of Mauritus Um to to restock to get more men to get more supplies so they can keep going. Mauritus hears that they have cholera. They're not landing. Doesn't allow them to land. So they stay there for about a week, trying to convince Mauritus to give them anything. Food, coal, men, anything. Mauritus says, "No, sir." And eventually they're like, "We also have large guns on this boat." And so then they finally are able to convince after threatening to uh, after the boat threatening to open fire on them and the Martin authorities also deciding, well, you know, we also have guns (laughs) and threatening to open fire on their boat. (laughs) After a week of delicate negotiations, Lockyer finally convinces the Martians to part with 130 tons of coal to power the ship. 
And they, and you know what? They were so magnanimous on this island, they even threw in a small amount of medicine, but no food or water. <laughs> so the feverish, dying crew... Has to eat the guns. <laughs> keeps going to England, praying that, you know, oh, our, you know, it can't get any worse than this. Of course not. It can't possibly. Until they sail into a storm. <laughs> so, and it's, it's a bad one, too. It's like a tropical hurricane. Rigging snaps. Men are th- hurled overboard. At one point, the ship is horizontal in the water. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they're tossed and turned, and just so many dudes die. That's the worst time to have a cholera, too. <laughs> like, when the boat suddenly <laughs> turns horizontal. What happened to the keys? One of the key guys has to have died, right? No. Now, all of the men with keys survive. The storm lasts for 12 hours before the skies clear and the waters calm. Oh, 12 hours. 12 hours of constantly being tossed and turned, rigging, snapping, men being hurled about by the wind. Rain, I assume. All right, hurricane, stop or we'll open fire. So... <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for the hurricane at the talent show. Yeah, 130 mile per hour winds, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> isn't he talented? Isn't he beautiful? So, on the 30th of June, 1850, the Medea limps into England, into a British port of Plymouth. Two months after it sets sail, crowds gather to see the Koinor, to, to greet it. And they just see just... Wait, they know it's on there? Yes. This, they've been, like, informed. Okay. There's been notice sent ahead of them to expect it, and that has leaked. And also, Queen Victoria is expecting there's going to be a big ceremony oh, to give God. it to her. They're going to be so stinky and so poopy. these exhausted, <laughs> beat-up men limp out with this big crate. And they're like, at least it's worth it. Queen Victoria will be so pleased. It'll make her day. It'll be the highlight of her week. You're leading us on again. And in a way, it is. This is the nicest thing to happen to Queen Victoria this week. You see, because unbeknownst to these men, Queen Victoria, earlier in this week, when coming home from the opera, was attacked and clouded over the head by... A man named Robert Francis Pott, a, a formal navyman, and up to now, a totally loyal servant of the British Empire, who seems to have no motive to attack the Queen. <laughs> the Queen is taken to the hospital with a mild concussion and just blood all over her. Robert Francis Pott, jail for the rest of his life. He attacked the Queen. Mm-hmm. Side treason. Very sad. Just she's already having a bad day. And then... So um, let me back up a little bit. So Queen Victoria is married to, to Prince Albert. Uh, they love each other, but Prince Albert is not liked by the people of Britain because he's German, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's a whole thing. And he tries to get gain credibility, that kind of a thing. Uh, and one of his big allies is Lord Robert Peel, um, who is – let me check his official title. Sir Robert Peel is one of Queen Victoria's chief confidants and former Prime Minister, Sir Robert Peel. Mm-hmm. And he had served in the high office for almost 40 years and been Prime Minister twice. He was a confidant of Queen Victoria, a close friend. He was one of the pu- one of the people who would stump for Prince Albert and like try and get the people on his side, all sorts of things. That week, Robert Peel 
is thrown from his horse and trampled and dies in the hospital. So. Did the... I'm, I'm going to stop being dumb. I was going to ask if the horse got the horse what? spooked by if the, a dog. No, if the if the horse got in, put in prison too for high treason. <laughs> uh, no, the horse was shot. Hey, what are you in here for? <laughs> Bludgeoning the king? Uh, killing <laughs> Robert? <laughs> <laughs> killing Robert Peel? <laughs> mm-hmm. huh. uh, yeah, it was. Uh, no, the horse. Uh, the horse. The horse was not allowed to go on. It. It killed a man. <laughs> Sorry, clip clop. You've. Uh, committed murder and human murder too not horse murder like we usually forgive but the guy that we can pardon horse murder the guy that bludgeoned and any talent show isn't complete without a horse murdering another horse <laughs> isn't he talented <laughs> um but the guy who tried to kill or at least was able to bludgeon the queen is i'm surprised he's not executed but oh well oh well horses just Take the flak well, again. Well, Max almost said executed yeah, and then I'm, changed it to I'm not actually not sure. Life. There's not a lot of follow-up I've been able to fo- find about him. I assume he was executed for attacking the queen. Okay. <laughs> you know? reasonable. Yeah. So, Queen Victoria devastated by this loss. So let's rewind. These men are coming off of this boat. At least they'll be able to give the queen this diamond. Mm-hmm. The diamond is loaded into a special train bound for London. Chugga, 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 chugga. Undisturbed. Heavily guarded to make sure nobody robs it. It gets to Queen Victoria. She opens it. She looks at it. That's pretty nice, I guess. Not impressed. Her mind is elsewhere. Her personal diary that night is 12 pages. All about how sad she is about her friend dying. And then one paragraph about how the Koh-i-Noor and how it looks nice, but is a little disappointing based on what she'd heard. Word of that gets back to Lord Dalhousie, all the way back in India. And he says, We'll send it on back then. (laughs) I'll take it. If Her Majesty thinks it brings bad luck, let her give it back to me. I will take it and it's ill luck on speculation. (laughs) (laughs) And he is is executed. Mm -hmm. No. For sassing the queen. Lord Dalhousie retires in luxury and wealth. He's a terrible man. Uh, but he never never sees justice for his crimes. Um, so yeah, that is the story of how the Koh-i-Noor gets from India to England. Uh, after this, it goes on exhibition in the Crystal Palace. Prince Albert tries to curry favor with the people by putting on a display. They're on press. But a series of events that eventually leads to it being cut into the princess cut we see it in today. That is a story for another time. Also an interesting story. But that is not this story. Uh, and the Koh-i-Noor... Gay can fill a book, and it does. If you want to read more about the Koinor diamond, read Koinor, K-O-H-I-N-O-O-R by William Dalrymple. He's a great history author, like really fun to read. Lots of crazy bonker stories in this book. <laughs> I believe at the start you said that Jackie and I would be the judge. Yes. So I, I forget of what Jackie and Noel. Oh, is do you think the Koinor is Koe cursed? I'm gonna have to say yes, Max. I'm going to have to say no. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Why? Jackie, why do you think the Koh-i-Noor is cursed? A lot of bad stuff happened when people had it in their possession. Mm-hmm. Noel, why do you think the Koh-i-Noor is not cursed? It's got to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. It's innocent until proven cursed, then. Storms are common. Mm-hmm. Cholera is common. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy who brought it up from that two-month journey, just what, he just missed his boat? Had to have a soft leather pouch rub against his rib cage for a bit. Mm-hmm. Got to go and 
let his eight-year-old nephew think he was a big old tough guy. He didn't pay for it. The guy who was like ha- held it for two years and was just like, Ooh, oh my god, like a month, right? like a month, yeah, or a month, yeah. Man, it probably felt like two years. Um, and goes and gets it, and you know, nothing bad happened to him. I mean, he had to reorganize his whole house. That you know, sometimes annoying. that's a good thing to do, though. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm not hearing. A ton of people cursed by this. Well, you're forgetting all the blindings, murders, and other things. Yeah, but they didn't even have possession of it. Like, this curse preemptively curses people, like the queen to get attacked and that guy to be executed. And Thus that. is the power oh. of the curse. No, no, no. Like, all those curses are like, oh, look at this old Irish wooden chair. If you sit in it, you die. Ah, da, da, da. Everyone dies eventually. Yeah, but, like, you die imminently. Ah, da, da, da. So, like, I don't know. It's... I think it's cursed. Um, well, I guess we'll let history be the judge. That's no fair. You said we could be the judges, and then you fucking backed uh, if, off at the if, last second. If you could agree, you could be the judge. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's Maybe the, work that's out the contingency. Your the people, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That the judges are supposed to all agree to, you know, keep their position as judges. Max, yes. how could you? I think you're cursed. It's kind of how a jury good works. Look. Yeah, so. but we're the judge. Uh, no, history is the judge. No, oh my god, oh my god. Well, then who's the jury if you're the judge? Wait, who? Who's the jury yeah. if we're the judge? The, the listeners. Well, let's get them up on help here to this talent show. Mm. Aren't they great? Aren't they? T- so, listeners, tell us if you think it's cursed or not. Yeah, write in. Uh, if you're the jury. Tweet at us at at an act podcast and tell us if you think the Koei Nor is Koei cursed. Kirsty Nor. Kirsty Alley. Kirsty Nori. Nori on sushi. Nori. Seaweed Nori. Help. <laughs> please, please take this away from yeah. me. So, uh, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Oh, whoa, Max. Ooh. What's up, Noel? Yes, and yes, and why well, wasn't he talented? Look at the talent show. Yeah. So here on Anachronismo, we love making this show, and we hope you love listening. Maybe you'll leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or your platform. I would never leave a review for anyone who sounded like that. You started this. At least that means it's not a negative review. Not a negative review. Yeah, that's true. Just as good. Everyone everyone who hates Max using this voice, leave a negative review as negative as possible. No, don't please. Leave us a five-star review and then say some real mean shit. Yeah, good on on stars. Write terrible podcast underneath your five-star review. (laughs) So, we're part of the Make Fun Network. That's a network of fun shows like... This Rules, This Sucks, or the Meow Meow Kitties podcast. You can find them online. Also, you can listen to True Tales of the Illuminati, the entire first season of which is out now. Uh, it's a podcast sitcom, workplace sitcom, about the bunglings of the Illuminati and conspiracies gone wrong, available on your podcatcher of choice. <sighs> I hated doing that. <laughs> Jackie, do you have anything you want to plug? I don't have anything creative to plug. Okay. I recently got chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream mm-hmm. from Whole Foods. Oh, yeah? And it's very good. That sounds so good. So I'll give a plug for that. That's cool. 
Nice, nice. Oh, you know what? People are going to be inside for a while. What's something? What's a piece of media that we think people might enjoy while they're all cooped up? Oh, I recently watched the first couple episodes of Thirty Rock, mm-hmm. and it is very fun. Right on. Very fun. Thirty Rock is great. I only. I actually started watching it right before I went off Netflix, so I got through like the first like season and a half, but I never picked it back up again, which is weird because it's really funny. It's a really it's funny show. Funny. It's really got good. a little more um, fat jokes than I think would happen now. Yeah. Um, but it's very good. Yeah. Right on. Okay. 30 Rock. I'm still thinking about like, you know, good TV or series from the past year and definitely got to say Russian Doll. Russian Dolls slaps. That's a good show. It's if you haven't checked it out, don't watch the trailer. Do, oh yes, do not watch the Netflix Netflix trailers because they literally give the entire plot away. Okay, or really important elements of the plot that is like the discovery is much more rewarding if you don't watch the trailer. Okay, okay. Yeah, I watched the trailer. I still really enjoyed the show. So, well, it's totally spoil your experience, but yeah, it'd probably be well, more you're fun an outlier, Max, because you're so unique. Or maybe they well, changed you. the trailer. Could be. That's also true. Because um, they realized that people were mad. Maybe. <laughs> could be. I, don't I, mean, I hope I, so. Cause... That gave it away. Yeah. 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 It was bad. Totally. You can recommend that uh, audiobook that you keep falling asleep to. <laughs> I mean, it's, well, no, this is a book. Uh, if you need something to fall asleep to. Yeah. Because it's, it's boring. No, I got a book uh, like a decade ago, over a decade. It's uh, Bill Bryson. Yeah. Um, in a Sunburned Country. Yeah, there's talking... this book about his Australian travels. You've read that. Yeah. I have started and stopped that book so many times because like, it's not one of his best ones. There's some really good parts in there, yeah, but they're buried underneath a lot of boring parts. Well, he narrates the audiobook, and I keep trying to listen to a chapter a day. And he's got, I he's got kind of a got kind of a, a little sleepy time voice. Yeah, I have yeah. fallen asleep so many times just trying to get through it. I really like his. Um, I really like. I, I grew up listening to his uh, "The Lost Continent" audiobook on like long car rides with my family that's a really fun one i i really enjoyed that I, I, and it really is a portal into like americana and america of like the 1980s 1970s when he was taking this road trip so it's just a little bit time travel you know it really takes you hmm. back yeah it's fun i'd, I'd recommend uh, yeah that or a walk in the woods is another great yeah. is a really fun one again he's kind of like a cranky old man and like there's a lot of like stuff he does where i'm like hmm well, you're kind of an asshole bill bryson but i just i i really enjoy watching this cranky old man do things yeah. you know so yeah i mean that one i don't know it's all right but yeah um yeah yeah oh yeah that's that's i like yeah. it i like i like this was unburned country but there are definitely it's it's a tough one it's a tough yeah. one yeah i read the novel who censored roger rabbit oh well the one that who killed roger rabbit's based on it's, yes. it's different, yeah. It's way different. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's actually... I, I think the movie's a lot better um, than the book. The book is a lot darker, I think. And But the it has a lot of interesting elements that the movie doesn't get into as much. And it's... Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty fun read. Yeah. How about the last words? In Who Framed Roger Rabbit? The yeah. last... Wait. The last words in Who Censored... Who sends a Roger Rabbit the last words? Of when the cartoons die. Their speech bubble hangs in the air or something? Yeah. Oh, 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 I thought you meant like the last words in the book. And I was like, I don't think it was. I think it was uh, just, it was yeah. non-spoken. But yeah, no, The one of the cool conceits is that when cartoon characters talk, like word bubbles pop up that yeah. like play into certain 
plot points or like they're they're physical so like you can walk around them and see the text backwards that's it's, fun yeah it's pretty cool yeah ah, i like that um yeah i think i'm gonna also plug you know walk in the woods i i really enjoy what's what's some what's something i watched or read recently if you're a gamer yeah i mean there's always the original but number two is uh, Risk of Rain. I've been playing a lot oh, yeah. of that Risk of Rain's lately. a lot of fun. Risk of Rain is fun. And it's a 2D. And the second one that takes it 3D, like, holy crap. Yeah, I, 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 I've been so in. so the same, but so foundationally different because it's 3D. Like, it t- yeah, it's a whole new level, yeah. literally. Yeah. I was playing the 3D one for a while, and I was like, man, I am spending a lot of time on this. Yo, I need man, to. Why didn't you tell me? I didn't know you were playing. Why didn't you tell me? Also, we're not friends on Steam. Why aren't we? I don't know, man. I didn't know. I'm going to write down my... Gamer tag? Game. No, I'm just going okay, so to text it Okay, so text me a thing. I don't need to thing. do the writing down yeah. ASMR stuff. Yeah. Do you just mean sound effects? No, it's just like the, you know, kind of... <laughs> yeah, fully work. Fully work. <laughs> I think that's a good round of Rex. So, yeah, um, stay safe, wash your hands, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, we're back. From the break now, Noel. So tell us about Mooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooo
He's an eccentric man. A so mad I'm, scientist. I'm going to start this all over. Okay. I presented this in the wrong order. So this should have started and ended in the 1650s and 1660s. Uh, one person party to this, Adrian Azu, is a uh, just an esteemed astronomer. There are telescopes, and he has like very. He's just a very keen observer of the you know celestial bodies. And unfortunately, he's coming from a society that, as far back as Grecian times, believed that well, hey, we're on Earth and we're around, so these celestial bodies must also have people on them because. I mean, we know what we know, and what we know I mean, is that we exist. That seems reasonable. Right. So that in that concept is not at the forefront of society. It's not like a huge push, but it's just kind of this inherent belief that people have like, oh, yeah, there, there mm-hmm. could be other populated worlds out there. Do they think they have the same god? For the Grecians, it would be different because I think they have like, uh, isn't like Athena? Athena or Artemis is like Artemis the, is the yeah, goddess of the moon okay. in, in Grecian mythology. Yeah, so I mean, there's some belief that like in uh, a monotheistic society that like, yeah, it's kind of the realm of this, that, or the other god, like in the same way as like Hades or the ocean and the moon. Mm. Um, in 17th century, where Adrian and John Wilkins are, that would be. No, sorry. Polytheistic when they believe in multiple gods. Yeah. It's monotheistic um, for the 17th century. They just believe that, you know, this is where there could be angels or, you know. That... Angels live on the moon. Well, no, they kind of, it was almost like they theorized that angels could convey people between to Earth the and the moon. But like the moon So angels had were its... rocket ships. Yeah. Kind of like, well, okay. at least John Wilkins did. And so mm. John Wilkins, believing that. Angels uh, ferry people between the celestial bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And Adrian Azu, a very keen observational scientist. Which one do you think becomes more popular in the moon? Angel rockets. The one who's cousins with the famous person. Yup, that's it. Yes, because um, Adrian Azu just kind of sums it up uh, pretty quickly. He's like, okay. Since it's been like 50 plus years since like, you know, Galileo was looking at the stars and stuff and it goes, so we've been able to observe the moon for a while. If we were on the moon and we're looking back at Earth, we would see clouds. We would see changing seasons. We would see a lot of um, different ecological and environmental factors that would make us go, okay, Things could live here because there are things in motion. There are sure. things moving. Sure. And the other guy says, angels will take you to the right. moon <laughs> where you will meet moon men and they will give you moon grapes. Yes. Yeah. Not that far off. Uh, but Adrian is then just go, conversely, we're looking at the moon and we don't see any of these changes. We don't see any clouds. We don't see any seasons. We don't see anything. And concludes that... There's probably no atmosphere, there's probably no water, so there's probably nothing on the moon. And uh, the other guy's like, yeah, we don't see anything because God doesn't want us to. He's hiding it because God wants to keep all the best stuff for himself, like the Garden of Eden. And yes, I do believe that what that That means is that the moon is the Garden of Eden. It's on the inside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no sin on the moon. I mean, it's it's just kind of... You know, that's as facetious as you're being, Max. 
That is not exactly. that far. You know, yeah. you're not that far off from this guy. This uh, this friend or relative of Oliver Cromwell, John Wilkins, because this person, um, a lot of snakes. Though. A lot well, of snakes on the moon. Yeah, just like the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Really smart snakes too. Yeah, there's like you. You want to eat that moon apple? You can eat that moon apple. First, you got to kiss me, a snake. You got to kiss me. I'm a snake. And that's the snake's talent. It's convincing you to yeah. kiss it. Give me a hand. Give a hand. Give a hand. Give a rattle tail. Um, but no, uh, John Wilkins is well connected, and so he is one of the founding members of the Royal Society, which is supposed to be the chief prominent uh, scientist, the most well funded. And a lot of his scientific research, it's not, it's not baseless, but it's also uh, not extremely feasible like his beliefs are that essentially um you know there is i I don't know if i'm trying to remember when the whole isaac newton's laws come into place like it's around is that 17th or 16th century uh i couldn't tell you off the top man i've never never been good with dates okay only with i mean there, there is some comprehension of gravity or that like there is something about the earth that we must break free of to be able to transverse yeah. uh, back and, and that's forth. not being and the thing we need to break free of is not having an angel carrying us right now well it's called he angel thought Uber. that the best option was getting high enough that a angel or demon didn't matter which would be able to take them like and bring them to the moon well he's only partly wrong yeah. You need to get high enough. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but his other thing is if these angels or demons don't, you know, help us out, you can make your own winged machine. And as long as you get something like 20 miles up, you'll break free of Earth and be able to travel to the moon. I mean, he's, he's not, not totally So he's wrong. not totally wrong, but his ultimate ambition isn't. It's kind of it's got that classic British colonialism because he's essentially saying like if there are moon people and we think there are we can subjugate them. They've got moon goods that we can trade for and trade for yeah. I mean, I'm sure if there were moon people like the moon people today would all have currency with the queen's face on them. Yeah. But like <laughs> it was just such an interesting like yeah, they were just like all right, we're going to we're going to try to get off the earth and get to the moon. Not for science, not for the sake of space exploration or or looking at the cosmos sweet, as a sea, sweet moon grapes. but like literally just be like, "This probably some good moon shit." I bet, <laughs> bet they got yeah. some good shit on the moon. It's a moon milk. Mm-hmm. I bet we can steal a lot of crown jewels from the moon. But they yeah. got some cool moon gems that we never even heard of: Ooh. moon worlds and moon pot, moon fires and moon rubies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So did he get there? And more importantly, how were the moon grapes? He did, and they were delicious. No, he no, was. Uh, no, no, what a great town. What a great town. No, wow. He, um, you know, uh, part of the Royal Society's work, you know, that was like, it wasn't just like a fuck off, like, hey, let's just spend money on doing a fun little side project. Like, they actually did try to test out the fees- mm. like uh, feasibility of getting a craft to fly, but I, I don't know exactly. It wasn't, I think, their work, but other science work at the time that said some was somehow concluding that the idea that um you know that space wasn't just kind of like this membrane that you could pass through that it was a vacuum yeah and therefore you couldn't just take a machine and just fly it straight to the moon like that there was no barrier to kind of pass through and so that's kind of the end of their experiments with moon Mm. travel 
sadly realizing that poor John Wilkins would never lay lips upon a moon grape. Mm. And it haunted him to the rest of his days. So, I mean, those are those are some of the moon famous facts. examples from, like, the 17th century. But obviously, like, there's a lot of novels and yeah, from literary Earth, works that, yeah, yeah, the Man on the Moon and Jules Verne's book, which I'll talk about in a bit. Mayor Moon and the Moony Moons. Mm-hmm. Mayor Moon of the Moony Moons. <laughs> My mayoral sash is gone. It floated away. <laughs> Now I have to go find it so I can cover up my bum. I'll be back. Uh, but it obviously inspires a lot of imagination. And around this time, you start to see a lot of like the primordial science fiction authors start to emerge and write their books on travel and journeying and time and all this stuff. And Mars. They got yeah. all this. They got all this free time. Oh, we watched. John Carpenter goes to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> what was it called? John Johnny John, Mars. John Carpenter of Mars. Yeah. John Carpenter of Mars. That, no, that, wait. What was it called? John Carpenter of Mars. John yeah. Carpenter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But like the director. Yeah. No, Carter. John. John Carter. Carter. John Carter. Of John Mars. Carpenter is directed like Halloween and like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Carter goes. To the moon yeah. <laughs> or to Mars? To Mars. John Carter uh, of John Mars. John Carter of Mars. John Carter of Mars. Uh, yeah, it's a good, pretty good movie. It's, uh, apparently, apparently, it's supposed to be like more exciting than the, than the books. Hmm. What a lot of people say. Hey, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I'm, I, liked it. I, I was bummed out that there wasn't a sequel. Yeah, I, I would have liked that because it's like holy shit, like John Carter spoils imminent. But just the idea that it's like he's like, man, things are going great for me, and now I've been away from it for ten years trying to get back, and it's like. What's that shit going to be like when I'm back? Mm-hmm. What's the moon going to be like? Sorry, what's Mars going to be like? Yeah. Will my best friend be a giant grasshopper voiced by Willem Dafoe? I don't know. Probably. I don't know, but probably. <laughs> I would hope so. But then the great moon hoax happened. <gasps> moon hoax? Now, what year do you think the great moon hoax happened? 1969. Oh, oh, shut up. <laughs> 1835. 1869. You're exactly right, which makes me suspicious that you saw my notepad. I did see your notepad. Oh, you're both liars and cheaters and, and conspiracy I'm not theorists. cheating. I'm using you're... clues that are available to oh me. Oh, my God. I'm cheating. You're not? You're, no. No. You're, you, I pegged you as the liar. <laughs> what am I lying about? We never went to the moon. Um, it's, there's nothing up there. But yeah, uh, 1835. It's just a government drone up there, piloted by a bird. What kind of bird? Pigeon. Okay. Well, what kind of pigeon? Moon pigeon. So a moon pigeon yeah. is flying Earth's, Earth's machine. No, no. It's, it's piloting the government drone that we think is the moon. The government drone. So where did the government drone and the moon pigeon meet? So the moon pigeon had to come oh to Earth? God, yeah. at the bar. like anyone Yeah, like meets. at the bar where they fell in love. Jeez. There was a lot of progress fought for in the 60s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but- <laughs> 1835, Jackie. Wow, well done. Well yeah. guessed. Oh, um, I think it's also 1835, Sideways Arrow, I think, to be more specific. That does sound like a year. It is Sideways Arrow, according to my notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, the New York Sun does a multi-day run of these articles that purport to be scientifically sound, although secondhand in nature, that took one John Herschel a famed but very distant uh, astronomer who uh, was, I think, oh, at an observatory. Distant because he was in space. What? He's distant because he's on the moon. He's on the moon. Or an 
East African Observatory. Also very far away. But might as well be on the moon. Might as well be on the moon, listeners. The New York Sun posts these series of articles saying that, like, guys, pump the brakes because we never went to the John moon. Herschel astronomer in Africa has with witnesses seen that there is life on the moon. And he observes creatures that look like demons and other creatures that I forget, like it was a normal uh, unicorn. Just right, a regular unicorn on yeah. the moon. The, you know, I'm, demons? Uh, sorry, a moonicorn. A moonicorn. I'm moon-icorn. sorry. I'm, re- I'm very sorry. So they observe demons and they observe moonicorns and they observe what I think is the most fascinating ones. Tailless bipedal beavers, which is so specific. That sounds it's, like a gopher. Yeah, I don't know. They're, but did they observe water for them to live they in? They observed cities. They observed everything. They pretty much just painted this like, hey, this scientist has this new telescope and is seeing all these different wonderful creations. Yeah. And nobody associates the six-day run with being a parallel to the six days of the creation story in Genesis. No one does. Written by a satirist, yeah. or written by a, well, a uh, newspaper man named Richard Locke, yeah. who uh, was pretty much trying to satirize um, the idea of how, at this time, there was such a, not debate, because there's not really a one side to win against the other. So the New York Sun, yeah, the New York Sun is famous at this time, but it's a very new newspaper. But it is they are uh, abolitionists, and so he's writing this these pieces to be like, hey, everyone, look how silly this is. Like, look how silly like the idea that I would write about these moon people, and that you would immediately come up with all these perceptions of like, are they better than us? Are they worse than us? Like, how just how stupid. moon rapes taste? Yeah, like how dumb this idea is yeah. of how people and none of you even think to question that maybe instead of it being people on the moon we're seeing through a telescope, it's tiny people on the on the lens of the telescope that we're seeing mm-hmm. that we yeah. just placed over the moon that looks like it's there. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he just does this uh, long running piece that. Not only boosts the New York Sun's subscriptions and overall sales and makes it like a very prominent uh, and recognized newspaper, it not only creates a lot of derivative reprintings and republishing from other news sources who are like, no, this is real. We've confirmed it. Or like, is this real? We need to look further into this. This is like War of the Worlds, but in the newspaper. Yeah, it just causes this whole chain reaction. And News of the Norlds. It it wasn't really supposed to be like, no, this wasn't supposed to provoke your imagination. It was supposed to really, you know, just bring light to this, you know, whole, you know, abolition cause that's like it's very silly to kind of just have all these weird preconceived notions and justifications and ideas of people that are like based on what somebody told you was supposed to be the way things are like yeah he just really like so it was like to write an article saying not to trust uh the media in the media media. (laughs) Yeah. yeah so i don't know um but it was a big hoax it took people a few weeks to realize it because apparently there was just lively conversation about like, what do you think they? Yeah, what, 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 what are, are those beavers are up to? What are these moon people like? Why? Why a hairless bipedal beaver? Do you, uh, think, do you think they ever kiss? 
Mm, only one way to find out. Let's get up there. Get up there and kiss these beavers. <laughs> but, um, yeah. What part of the beaver is essentially beavers? Can we even call these things beavers? What if it's what if it's just a man with beaver teeth? What if it's just a man with big buck teeth and a and a hair problem on his body? We need oh, to investigate. What's the difference so, between a man and a beaver? My <laughs> God. My God, what have we done? <laughs> so apparently also this uh, John Herschel person who was referenced in the paper because he was so far away and hard to reach for comment when word came back to him about this did appreciate the whole hoax but did not appreciate the lingering delayed contacts from multiple sources being like well what about this did you see this on the moon john herschel so you know he he kind of suffered the most for it yeah that's a good story science but no i have a few uh i have one personal anecdote cool and one series array of fun facts. Cool. What do you want to hear first? Personal anecdote. Personal anecdote. Hugh Lofting, the man who wrote the Dr. Doolittle books. Yeah. Huge fan of them. Except the one book that I read that was like, this is too much for me. I read like probably a did they half. have a Didn't they fly a giant moth to the moon? They did. Yeah. And that's the one that I was like, this, I can't. This I, is silly. Hugh, you and me. Gotta part ways because it was just like, and he, the moth came down and gave him a moon flower, and they could breathe on the moon. And it was just like, that's not, that's not how the moon works. I can't accept this anymore. Like yeah. the other, that that was definitely the weird, like the weirdest one. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of them are just like the rest kind of, of them are like exploring oh. unexplored territories around Earth, and like kind of being like, man, giant. Giant snails, ancient turtles, like, you know, just kind of, um, and some, like, really, like, Hardy Boys-esque type mysteries and stuff. And then it's like, flew them off to the moon. Not how it works. And ran into some guy who was from the time that the moon split from the Earth. Apparently not that long ago. This is all science <laughs> yeah. fact. So, yeah, no, Hugh Lofting, that was that was where he and I departed ways. We could not see eye to eye on giant. Well, no, because he was on the moon. Oh. oh, thank goodness you weren't wearing the yeah, headphones. I know, I <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, write no, down the time so you, you can know tell when that this Noel is coming. has been drinking and you and I have not been drinking. Whatever. <laughs> um, no, my last anecdote is Jules Sorry, Verne. Jules Verne, know. in his book, I, I actually didn't write down the title, but he did write a uh, mid 19th century novel about a manned flight to the moon. Mm-hmm. And the creepy thing was that. I mean, there were about eight things that were kind of aligned, but in his book, the first moon mission takes moonshin launches moonshin. Mm-hmm. God damn, you're full of them tonight. Yeah. Uh, takes it's a quite a talent, isn't it? Give me a hand. Give me a hand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, takes off from the U.S. That the U.S. would be the first one to get people on the moon. Mm-hmm. That the moon spaceship would be launched from either Texas or Florida, mm-hmm. which creepily enough happened with like the whole negotiation was that mission control was in texas and the rocket launched or the spaceship launched from florida that it would be a three-person mission and that in returning to earth the only practical way to do it is that they would have to parachute and like essentially land into the pacific ocean wow yeah Hmm. right like and then 150 years later we Filmed a fake movie about that and then copied over all the facts from a Jules Verne novel and just said, wow, look at all this parallels here. Mm. Wow. Wow, it's like the story was pre-written. Wow. What a quinky thing. Good work, Jules Verne. Good work. Thank you for guiding us, Jules Verne. Jules Verne. Julie. Great job. Great job. 
Great job. Good time. And that's going to do it for us. Oh, you have a personal anecdote. No, that was uh, okay. Hugh, uh, Hugh Lofting on right. Dr. Doolittle. Right. And that's going to do it for us tonight on Anachronismo. Our talent is history and jokes, and your talent is being a great listener. Let's give a round of applause. Give a round of applause here on Anachronismo. I'll get you a moon moth, Alice. Is that what you want? I'll fly a moon moth with you to the moon. I'll give you a flower you can breathe with. Oh, James, stop. You're crazy. You're not crazy, James. Uh, Crazy, am I? Well, I won't be so crazy when I'm on the moon. Yeah, I don't want to live, Clarence. I want to live, Clarence. I want to jump off the moon and splat on the earth. Yeah, it's like, well, you can't. If you jump on the moon, you'll land back in earth. Ah, Clarence, I'm just bouncing around up here. And Mr. Potter will ensure that your local bank is bought up because you can't find the money. No. <laughs> Brought to you by Make Fun Network. <laughs>